Kings Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham, your host. Joining me today, one of my favorite people in the business. I hope that he does this job until the end of time. The radio voice of the Sacramento Kings, Mr. Gary Gerald. G-Man, thanks for joining me. Now, listen, I'm, I'm flattered at your praise. I appreciate it very much. And who knows when the end of time may may suddenly loom. But, uh, yeah, let's hope there's some more years down the road. Look forward to it. Yeah, with our, with our political climate, there is no guarantees on how long the end of time is. So you may, be, you may run that job out. So <laughs> it's been, what, 31 seasons that you've watched Kings basketball. Uh, and of those, I think there are only 10 seasons of playoff basketball. This season in particular, though, I'm just going to start there. This season in particular, it feels like there was more promise. There was more possibility. There was more hope. Is this one of the more disappointing seasons just because it's gone so sideways and so far from, I think, where most people predicted it would go? James, I, it's funny you mention that because last night as we were wrapping up our, our broadcast, the next to the last game to be played at Sleep Train Arena, uh, Jason Ross and I were kind of talking about the frustrations and the disappointments of the season. And, and I, I just flat said that, you know, over the last 10 years now, since the Rick Adelman era and the eight years where the Kings were in the playoffs, that without question, this was the most disappointing season from my standpoint because you look at the roster, you look at the assembled talent and the expectations, and I'm not one that gets blown away and, and, and goes over the top in terms of expectations. I try to be pretty realistic in the way I look at things uh, down the road or reflecting on what's happened in the past. And I clearly thought, without question, that this team would have far greater success than it had. And you look at the number of games that got away, the fact that you lose four times to this young upcoming Minnesota Timberwolves club, mm-hmm. the fact that they lost four times against a shorthanded New Orleans Pelicans club, the fact that they lost to Brooklyn, the fact that they lost the game to Phoenix, they lost the game to Philadelphia, and you start adding these up and you say, my goodness, you split those games, which I think is maybe even a little bit conservative, and this team would be contending legitimately for no playoff position in the Western Conference in the final two weeks of the season would have been extremely meaningful. Instead, we find ourselves in a situation now trying to protect a first-round draft pick that so goes against my grain, and I'm old school and I admit it, but it just drives me nuts that that influences the approach to basketball games and that you want to be competitive but you don't want to win too many because if you do, you lose a first-round draft pick. So it's been that kind of a year. And as you can tell, it's been more than a little frustrating. (laughs) I I love the passion because I I see both sides of it. And as a guy who who is – I have to look at assets. I have to look at the way that uh, you're going to approach an offseason, which is going to be one of the craziest offseasons that they've ever had. They have so many decisions to make. But – it's such a difficult thing, and I and I I'm in the locker room with a guy like Darren Collison, who on Tuesday night he they told him he wasn't going to play, and I can just see it on his face that he wanted to punch somebody. They some of the players are okay with it, and some of them are actually you know more than okay with it. They they would prefer it, and then other players are just like they can't fathom, just like you can't fathom giving up any game. I don't know how you balance that. And do you think the league should do something about this? Or is this like it's an impossible thing to deal with because you're opening Pandora's box about how you can manage a roster, how you can manage a team, you know, what a coach can do, what a front office can do? Well, I think you're right. I don't think there's there's no easy answer. 
and certainly I think in the last four to five years, that's now become today's NBA. It has become en vogue, and you know this term rest is being utilized by all kinds of teams and all kinds of situations. I, I find it frustrating from the standpoint of a team that doesn't have a winning record, that's not involved in the playoff hunt, uh, because I think you know contractually you're paid to play 82 games. I want to see you out there giving your best shot for 82 games. You're not paid to play 72 or 76. You're paid 82. And that's one of the things that goes against the grain as far as I'm concerned. I think it's a disservice to fans because people pay really good money to have an opportunity to come and watch these fellows play basketball. And there may be a situation where a team or a family or an individual uh, says, you know, I really want to go watch so-and-so played, but then upon arriving at the arena, finds out, well, that person's not going to be in uniform tonight. And it's just, uh, it's a conundrum. I, I don't I don't think there's an easy solution to it, James. I, I really don't. But it's just something that you have to adapt to. And yes, you know, there is an upside. If the Sacramento Kings get a good, strong first-round draft pick, uh, maybe that helps toward the future. But it's just, it just, as I said, it just goes against my grain, and I, I have a hard time dealing with it. And I appreciate the fact that Darren Collison has a hard time dealing with it as well. Yeah, it sets a precedence that I'm not sure that. Well, it's a losing precedence, and it's something that this franchise has sort of mastered the art of losing um, all of these seasons without even winning 30 games. It's really shocking. Um, I, and I'll, I'll say this too in. In the media guy's defense who has to write and, and tell you what's going on, I think the Kings have tried to be transparent and honest about yeah. what's going on by saying rest. They couldn't make up an injury and say, well, you know, he's got a spring big toe and he's not going to play tonight. But they've they've chosen to say, look, we're just resting him. It is what it is, and we, we can't do anything about it. It's a decision that's above our pay grade, but we're going to be honest with you. And so I at least appreciate that aspect of it that, you know, those guys are put in a, in a situation that isn't great either. So we, we've talked about some negatives to this season and there, I think we could probably talk about negatives to every season that we've seen as this, this, you know, 10 year stretch of non-playoffs has, has strung along, but let's talk about some positives. This is again, Saturday night is the last game ever in sleep train arena. Uh, let's just call it what it is. Let's just call it Arco Arena for the sake of this because I think we all want to call it Arco Arena down the stretch here because that's what we know it as. That's what you feel it as. But I guess we'll start with this. What is your greatest memory in Arco Arena and how much are you going to miss this building once it's gone? Well, I'll try to answer the second part before I try to answer the first. Uh, I have a very difficult time pinpointing any one specific as the most memorable. There are a handful that jump to mind. But in terms of what it's been like in this building, uh, I'm a bit nostalgic, but by the same time, the same token, I'm, I'm really excited because what this means as we close out this era is that we're embarking on a, on a new venture, and we're going to do it in a spectacular building that will transform downtown Sacramento as we know it. For that, I am I'm tremendously excited. I just I can't wait until next fall to get into that new building to see the reaction of Kings fans. We know their passion. We know their support. I think many of them who haven't had the luxury and the opportunity to visit other NBA venues around the country are just going to be astounded. It's going to be a jaw-dropping experience. There's not a doubt in my mind. I look at this last game, it's kind of like, you know, you get comfortable with a, with an old sweater or maybe a hoodie or a pullover and a pair of slippers, and you just you feel comfortable, you feel good. And that's kind of the way I, th- I feel about Sleep Drain Arena, Arco Arena, it, all these years in that building. But there's a comfort zone. It kind of really started to hit me last night when I drove into the parking lot and I thought, you know, I'm only going to drive into this parking lot one more time on a game night and it's just kind of weird and it conjures up a lot of memories and a lot of thoughts and you think about the the success particularly of the kings in that eight-year run uh 
early uh, in this in the the 2000s, and you think about you know the tailgating and the parties and the scalpers and out on the streets and people trying to unload tickets, buy tickets, just the excitement level that was generated and some of the, the great magical times when the Kings enjoyed, you know, the greatest success of their 31 years as the Sacramento Kings. So to look at some of the specific, you know, memories, of course, I, I think they're, they're, they're fairly obvious that most people, the, to me, the Mike Bibby game winner in Game 5, the uh, 2002 Western Conference Finals against the Lakers is one that really stands out in my mind. Uh, 19 Mid-90s was it 96 when the Kings played their first playoff game in that particular building after they'd split the first two up in Seattle against the Sonics. Uh, the, the atmosphere was just off the charts, and I, and I don't exaggerate a bit. Um, it was something that I, I don't know if we'll ever experience again. And James, in that particular season, I was doing television with Jerry Reynolds, and I just remember that Jerry and I are standing on the floor next to each other, trying to hear each other, even though we have earpieces, over this continued crescendo of noise that lasted for something like 25 minutes, was sustained from the moment the players came on the floor to begin the formal warm-ups until well after the opening tip. It just, uh, when I talk about it now, it makes the hair on my arm stand up. It was just, we use that term electrifying. It was every bit of that. And so those are a couple that just immediately jump out in my mind. Uh, Greg Lukenbuild, the initial uh, owner, suppose, uh, you know, of the Kings involved with his group that first year when they had a leak in the new building in 1988. He's up in the rafters. We had about a 43-minute delay playing Philadelphia. The water was leaking down, dripping on the free-throw line. And <laughs> he's up there rigging a banner in the rafters with no safety harness or anything. And, you know, we're just looking up there saying, this man is absolutely stone-cold crazy. And yet, look what he's doing so we can continue and play this basketball game. That's that's a time, obviously, that, that I'll never forget. Kind of an uh, obscure one uh, in, in my memory bank. Back-to-back wins at the end of, I think it was 92 and then the start of 93, uh, the Kings won consecutive games against Dallas and Philadelphia by margins of 58 and 56 points. Hmm. And to just think about that kind of domination in back-to-back performances from a team that wasn't having a very notable year, that that's one that, you know, I'll never forget. Um, Ricky Barry's suicide, unfortunately, is tragic and is sad. Uh, that's still, uh, that still, that takes my breath away when I think about that and the loss of that young man and how it hurt the organization. Bobby Hurley's accident in the early 90s that, you know, nearly claimed his life and certainly ended up claiming his career. Uh, Jerry Reynolds, when he was coaching, the collapse when he went face down right in front of me on the floor. Uh, and we, you know, feared the absolute worst in that situation. Uh, this year, the back-to-back games by DeMarcus Cousins. What was it, 48 against Indiana, followed by mm-hmm. 56 in that double overtime loss against Charlotte. Uh, gosh, I mean, they're, they're just, there are a ton of memories. And then, you know, we haven't even really touched on the whole significance of the situation at the end of, what was it, 2010-2011 season when we're thinking the team is going to go to Anaheim. Yeah. Not knowing if we'll ever get back together again as the Sacramento Kings in the dramatic final game against the Lakers that ended up in an overtime loss. But along the way, the Kings came, as I recall, from 20 down in the fourth quarter to tie it up and force overtime. And the place was just going absolutely crazy. I was going crazy. I remember jumping out of my seat on one particular play when the Kings either tied it or took the lead in the final couple of minutes, and I was high-fiving every person that I could reach because I'm thinking, we don't know if we'll ever have this opportunity again. Uh, and that was another amazing moment. Then the fact that the Kings got the great period, came back, uh, and then went through all the drama of, will this team be going to Seattle? And the end of the... 2012-2013 season, 
against the Clippers, wondering if that, in fact, was going to be the final time that we would all convene in that building as the Sacramento Kings. And then it comes getting, you know, the, the great news that Vivek Renovive has taken over the franchise. We're going to be back. And then going onto the floor for that opening game against Denver in the fall of 2013, Vivek out there in the spotlight at center court emphatically saying, this is your team. And we are here to stay. And, and just how the Kings fans responded and man, what a journey. What a journey. And you look at these last three years, and, I, and sometimes, James, I, I think that we forget. We get so caught up in the moment. We forget what has transpired and how far we've come in three years' time from not knowing whether or not the Kings would be back in Sacramento to now getting ready to go into a brand-new arena in downtown. That was wow. That was amazing. <laughs> we were supposed to talk for a short amount of time. You just... You just gave me a five-minute answer, so I don't even know where to go. I mean, for me, I was there for the the 95-96 playoffs with Seattle. I was in the building, and you're right. uh, The building was alive. You could feel it. That was incredible. You could feel it on you when you walked in. I've never felt that anywhere else in my entire life where there's a buzz. Uh, The playoffs in, in the early 2000s, amazing um you're right the night that bobby hurley almost passed away uh just such an incredible i, I mean it, it was before social media so i mean yes. the the news teased a sacramento kings player was injured in an accident after the game and it and they teased you and you're like oh well maybe i'll stay up and watch the 11 o'clock news and then holy cow the story afterwards is just incredible that you know he actually they called in a priest mm-hmm. three times you know, to, to read him his last rites. I mean, he, he was all but dead and it was just a miracle that he was saved. I mean, so you're right. All of these, these moments and these, you know, this, this collection of memories that are wrapped up into a building, it's really hard to, to package that up and bring it to somewhere Mm -hmm. new. And I think that's, that's such the crucial part about opening a new building is to not make it sterile, to not make it feel like it's lost the, whatever it was that the previous building had. And I think that's such a challenge. But I'll say this, for all the ups and downs that have happened off the court and on the court over the last three years, I have so much faith in what some of these guys on the business side are doing that I think that they're going to be able to capture that. You know, when they they took out Arco 1 and they moved to Arco 2, one of the things that, that their fan group said was, you have to bring the wooden floor over. And if you bring the wooden floor over so we can do the Arco Thunder, we can bang our feet on the ground and make all this noise. And I think that captured such an interesting ambiance in in the second Arco. I mean, it made Arco yeah. what it was at, in certain points. So I hope that they, they're able to capture some of the magic that, that goes into that new building. And, and honestly, the way you do that, some of the way, is that you bring the voice of the Kings – Gary Gerald to the new building and you let him tell the story of the new building and you let Jerry Reynolds tell the story of the new building and Grant Napier and you let that collection that you guys have formed, you know, sort of carry on the legacy in the new building, at least as long as you want to do it. So, so it's been a magical ride. Um, Saturday night is, is there someone specific that you can't wait to see the list of names is like, it's so incredible. 50 plus players, Rick Adelman will be in the building. Pete Carrill will be in the building. Is there someone that you're really looking forward to seeing? Well, I mean, there are a lot of someones. When you look down that list, and, and they all jog different types of memories. But, you know, just the fact that Rick Adelman is going to be there, to me, that means an awful lot. Because he, to me, uh, epitomizes any success that the Kings have enjoyed in their 31 years in Sacramento. And I'm, I'm so happy that he was able to, to make it a part of his schedule that he'll be there on Saturday. There are a lot of others, and as I say, you, you know, you, you, some of them are obscure names, some of them were marquee names at the time, but just the fact that they they share something special and they want to share that moment on the final game to be played in a building, I think it really speaks volumes to what the Sacramento Kings are and what they represent to this community. 
and and for the fans. And I I really hope, James, that that somehow that feeling can just filter its way to the current group of Sacramento Kings, that they can fully appreciate what's transpired in the past, what's you know led to them being part of the organization now and and deserving of the great support of these amazing fans. And I hope that for Saturday night, at least one of the three remaining games of this season, that you push aside all this business about worrying about a draft pick, worrying about resting people, just come out and is a tribute to those who've, you know, laid the foundation, put it all on the line, play your very best basketball for as close to 48 minutes as you possibly can. And I just, I really hope that that takes place. And I'm confident that it will take place. And I'm excited, I'm excited to see not only the players of the past, but to see how the current guys respond to their presence and in, in how in their performance against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Well, you can't end it any better than that. So we're, we're just going to leave it right there. You, right. you, you're an amazing guest. I love having you on every single time uh, that, that we've done the show together. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Have a great night. Enjoy everything that comes with that that sort of celebration of that building and celebration that Sacramento Kings are still the Sacramento Kings. They're not somewhere else that somehow good one and uh you know that we get to keep doing this we keep get to keep plugging away whether they win or they lose so thanks for coming on gary james we thank you we're blessed we look forward to it it's an exciting time we end one era and we open another one there it is the radio voice of the sacramento kings gary gerald welcome back to the csn kings insider podcast i am your host james ham Joining me, Aaron Bruski of hoop-bowl.com. AB, what's going on? I am. It just kind of hit me that there's 24 hours to go until the last game at uh, Sleep Train Arena, and and I don't know. I'm getting getting a little nostalgic of of the last few years, four or five years, really, of uh, covering the Kings. Yeah, you know what? If uh, you're coming off, of course, the second the, this is the second portion of the podcast. If you're if you just listen to the first portion with Gary Gerald, you can't help but like the hair is like standing up on your arm still. Uh, the voice of the Kings expressing some of the uh, the incredible moments for him in Sleep Train Arena. It was I mean he went on like a seven minute monologue there. I, there was nothing I could do. It was just you just sit back and you enjoy the fact that you have one of the more beautiful radio voices for professional sports, uh, you know, really just laying it out there. And you know what? I, I was thinking about this, and I didn't talk to Gary about this, but I don't know that that we're going to hear the great radio voices ever again. Like, after this this grouping of, of giants in the game, whether it be baseball or whether it be, uh, you know, whatever sport, I think that radio is number one it's it's struggling and it's and it's on it's it's dying a lot like newspapers are dying that's one thing but also i think the love of the medium has it's not it's not you know pounded into the generation of fans that that are young and coming up and so they don't know how to capture what people who listen to the radio in the the 50s the 60s the 70s where things were described to you from left to right on the on your dial and you know things were so different then so to hear him capture that and really he is he is just uh he he clearly is a hall of famer for the for the kings uh you know he'll his name will be in the rafters like it should be with Jerry Reynolds and probably Grant Napier as well but but his ability to tell a story like Vin Scully like John Miller, their ability to tell a story while watching a game is just shocking, and, and it, it, I mean, it makes you want to listen, and, and it draws you in. It makes you a fan just by by their passion and the way that they call a game. So, again, thank you for uh, thank you to Gary Gerald for coming in and dropping some wisdom. Yeah, I, I'm you know Gary's one of my favorite, and the commercial he does that's kind of been the one thing that you, you almost like you know you go through this king season of chaos and then there's gary's voice talking about 
all of the various movements to keep the Kings in Sacramento. And I covered them all. And it's, um, it's good to hear the, the good stories, you know, uh, there's so much negativity surrounding the Kings and, uh, you hear Gary's voice just pop in, in the middle of it. And it kind of just reminds you that there are a ton of good stories that get kind of washed over by the, the narrative surrounding this team. So it's good to hear Gary's voice. I'll actually add this as well. I do believe that that radio is, um, you know, it's dying. And I do think that there are going to be less of these great voices. I mean, John Miller is a guy that when I was in high school a long time ago, 20 years ago, we would talk about how great John Miller was. And he had been doing it for years at that point. So he's been doing it for, what, 30, 40 years. I do know some guys in the business that I think could be the torchbearers, but they're just going to be not as many of them. And, and who knows if they'll be able to survive. They'll probably be able to attach themselves to teams because teams can still afford to pay them. Um, but it's going to be rough, I think, for that entire industry. So uh, it's, uh, it's something that I'm sad to see go because there's nothing like listening to a game on the radio. Yeah. Right? I, and the G-Man is in, in, in particular. Yeah, I, I hate the Giants and I will listen to John Miller all day long. Oh. You know, I, I'm a Bill King guy, uh, Bill King, the late, great Bill King. Um, who covered the A's, the Warriors, the Giants? I mean, I mean the the uh, the Raiders. Um, he he had a way of capturing a game too, and of of imparting knowledge and of giving you more. And the one thing about Gary that I love is there's a passion for things being done the right way, and it's he he doesn't hold back, and he refuses to do. He doesn't have a radio talk show. He's not that guy. He does one thing that he loves, and, and that is call a game. And I had uh, I had the privilege during let's see we were we were just figuring this out. Uh, 2011 um, during the summer of 2011, the lockout, the Kings drafted Jimmer on you know whatever June 25th or 24th or 26th, whatever it fell on that year. And then five or six days later on July 1, the the lockout hit. And they couldn't even, you know, they couldn't even touch Jim and they couldn't talk to him. But we had that long summer and that's when I filmed Small Market Big Heart with, you know, some really incredible people. And uh, the interview that I did in Sleep Train, uh, actually, I think at that point it was called Power Balance uh, with Gary. He's sitting in the stands. We used it all throughout Small Market Big Heart. But I, I was just telling him, like, the raw footage of that is stunning like he was so incredible i i've long said this like i've i've interviewed a lot of different people i've you know it's it's funny when your kids come up you're like have, have you met lebron it's like yes i've met lebron you know it, like you you interview people but very seldom do you capture something that like just like catches you so off guard and like i it we had an emotional interview and it was it was supposed to be like 15 minutes, just like the podcast was supposed to be like 10 minutes. And it ended up being something like 45 or 50 minutes of just like this incredible thing. There, Gary actually told me in, in that interview about how when he was a kid, he would walk home from school like throwing a baseball in the air. And he would recall the game on his way home while he was walking. He would actually announce the game he would do a recall of the game that he listened to the night before on the radio while he would walk home. And it's just, that's how he, it's so in him that he wants that that's what he does and who he is that it's just, it was a, it was a great moment to watch someone like literally recall and, and think about his parents who have passed and just the way that, you know, how he became, an announcer, you get to see it play out in his eyes while he's telling you on, on, on film. It was, it was incredible. So, so anyway, you know, it's funny cause I feel like we could just go on and on and on with Gary and, and other guys and, and gals that have um, just kind of popped up in this story that, you know, they're, they're a lot, very much under the radar um, or, but they're also very big parts of the Kings, you know, people that, you know, I'll probably just leave out names, um, but that have this just incredible affinity for Sacramento and this passion for what they do. Um, and you know, that was the thing that drew me to this story 
and and caused me to to essentially pick up and and become a reporter and um you know report this stuff they're they're not like look at me guys you know they're they're very much you know about their craft and and also um just so passionate and and tied into this community you know Gary being one of these guys that's a little bit more out there in front of everybody in front of everybody but it's um it's people like that that really made this story such a good story because it took hundreds of people all from different kind of walks of life and from different agendas um you know people that were really big names in the world of the Kings and people who were just kind of regular Joes that picked up and all started pulling in the same direction. And I, I'm, I'm a little bummed out that I feel like that, that, that story hasn't had the oxygen to breathe because of various scandals and various um, negativity surrounding the team. The distractions. Because the yes. distractions. I mean, God, you had to bench DeMarcus Cousins the other day just so he wouldn't get a, another technical and get kicked out of the last home game, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's stuff like that. And he's way down the list of distractions as far as I'm concerned, but like there are so many distractions, so many kind of just bad stories that are lingering, you know, people that were part of the, the fight to keep the Kings that have been somewhat marginalized in recent weeks. Um, it, it, I, I want the stories that are good to be out there is I guess what I'm saying. And when I hear Gary's voice, I just get, you know, a little, you know, emotional. It's good to hear him, you know, on these telecasts. I would, I really want to hear his final call. I know that somebody will record that and put that out there. Um, it's just a good story. So I want to hear more of that stuff. Yeah. He is the, the narrator for the Sacramento Kings franchise. I Absolutely. That is the best way to put it. He is the narrator of the 31 years of Sacramento Kings basketball. And that if you don't have a good narrator, you don't got a good story. And so so anyway, uh, it's the buildup. It, it's the buildup, and that's why we had Gary on. Um, I, I would have liked to have brought Jerry on as well, but of course that would have been just like giant blocks. Uh, we'll have Jerry on soon <laughs> enough. Jerry is one of my favorite people, uh, just like Gary is. And they've been together. You know, They're very different guys, but... Uh, they are friends and, you know, you, you can't help be friends. You, you travel everywhere together and do all these things. Um, but it's the build up to the final game in Arco Arena. And it's something that, I mean, for me personally, for Aaron personally, um, you know, we covered some crazy stuff. We are part of some crazy stuff. We got to see some crazy stuff. We know more about that situation than you'll ever know and you'll ever want to know the dirtiness, the, the, the great stuff, the bad stuff, everything in between. There are books that they could and should and will be written by some people. I don't know that I've got time to write a book anytime soon, although that was – I've had a few book ideas floating in my head for a while. But it's this culmination, this culmination that will happen Saturday night as the doors to, to Arco Arena close. And – the list of, of guests that are going to be there is incredible. The, we won't talk about the couple of people who won't be there because that, uh, that's, that's a negative because I don't think you can have any negatives on this night. It doesn't matter if the Kings win or lose. Um, Gary talked about he hopes that the Kings put aside the fact that they're, they're trying to keep their draft pick and they just go for the gusto and, and that the players that are there on the sidelines, that they understand that they're able to capture what's happening and it and embrace what other people have had to do in the past or what people have done in the past that have made this organization and have you know sort of strengthened what's happening and you know fought to keep the team here and that that can be embraced on that night and it can be a good basketball game but also an incredible night that that just sort of the momentum carries forward um, but Aaron what are what are your thoughts about that that last game at sleep train I, I kind of just picture it chronologically. Uh, you know, the entire day's worth of activities, the crazy crown downtowners, I'm sure, are going to be out there chanting. Um, there'll be events everywhere. There will be um, a massive buildup. You know, it'll make the tuxedo game look small in <laughs> proportion. I don't um, think David Stern will be there. 
but I think he he might be there to christen the new one. But I don't he, think David Stern will be there. He will. Um, uh, yeah, it would be great if he would be like the surprise guest. But the the thing will start. I think the Kings will play a spirited game. Um, you you hope that they can kind of recognize the enormity of the moment. I think that they've missed the enormity of the the season, you know, from from a fan's perspective here. Although in the last couple of weeks, I have noticed that they've been playing with a lot more togetherness and gusto and kind of an effort mentality. And there's pros and cons to some of that stuff. Um, but when they get on the court here on Saturday, I think you're going to see kind of the Kings team that we've seen splashes of. Um, you know, kind of almost looking back to last uh, year's opening game against the Nuggets when um, the energy was really, really high and they were able to get the win. Um, I, I kind of foresee something like that. The Thunder have always been in these games that have been important, by the way, and they've um, they've not had great success against the Kings in these games. Um, they'll probably rest some guys. Maybe I don't know. We'll I don't. See. I don't think anyone's resting except for Omri and and maybe Marco Bellinelli. Well, no, no, no. I'm talking the Thunder. Oh, the Thunder. Um, the Thunder. I, I would have to look at their schedule real quick. I hadn't thought of that angle, but the uh, when they get on the court and when it's all happening, you know, a couple things is I I, I hope George re- respects the moment and and kind of you know just kind of fades into the background. I think uh, he does. I think he does. I, I that I've gotten the sense that he does. Um, we'll see. Um, then, when it's all said and done, it's going to be a massive celebration, and I'm looking forward to seeing all of the people who you know their names are not in bright lights. I'm looking forward to them getting their due. You know, I'm looking forward to the the people that have no financial interest in this endeavor whatsoever, getting to kind of share in that moment with the other people that you know, join them, you know, the, the, the big money owners all the way down to the, the, the people at meetings that were, you know, just doing it based on their love of Sacramento and their love of the Kings and, and having them all in, in one place and letting them have that celebration. Cause I've seen it a couple times, you know, there's probably been about four to five of these celebrations in Sacramento and it's just something else to see. You just don't see this stuff. You don't see the, the people, you know, of different backgrounds, you know, and, and different, whatever, however you want to measure it, you don't get to see them hanging out with this one common goal. It's a weird story. You don't see this in sports and you probably don't see it in life. Yeah. You know what? This is a classic underdog, uh, somehow figures out a way to win. And, and, you know, I, I think when, when we were doing small market, I, there was a moment where, like we're having discussions like, you know, you got to get the arena. You got to get the arena. We've got to shoot the inside of Arco to show people what's wrong with the with the arena and why it has to be replaced. And there was a moment where it, it there was some clarity where it was like, you know what? It doesn't matter what's wrong with Arco. It, that's, it's not part of the discussion anymore. It, either the arena gets replaced and the Kings stay or you don't get a new arena and the team leaves. And so what's wrong with the arena no longer made any real sense. It, it didn't. And, and that's, it's kind of a reality to the way the story twisted and turned that it didn't become, you know, it, it really became about, can you be financially viable for the next 35 years? If we let the King stay in Sacramento, can you be financially viable enough to build an arena to, to make a new home that will, make the team money and you know everything will move forward or are you going to again be protective of a building that that's antiquated and and no longer has a life uh, shelf life and you know so the the story really changed and for me to watch to to walk into sleep train i mean i think i've missed two games in six years and one of those games i was at uh the sloan analytics conference in in uh, Boston and the other game I was at the board of governors meeting in New York. It was the only two games I've missed in six years and to walk in the building every day, it has a smell. It has, it has a, some of a newness to it because the new ownership group did spend a lot of money to get these last three years to get it through these last three years. 
but it also you walk out on the floor and it's the same exact building. I mean, I, I think it's funny. This is something that some people notice and some people don't. But when they brought in the new baby blue floor, that is a throwback, but really it's not a complete throwback because it's a little different than what it used to look like and all that. But anyway, when you drop in the baby blue floor and you've got the blue, the the blues and the reds on the floor, the 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 arena makes sense again. Because right. <laughs> because people don't realize that all the seats are red and blue, and they're red and blue because that was the original colors. And when you decide to do a color swap to orange and black, you don't spend like eight million dollars replacing all of the seats in the entire arena because that just doesn't. I mean, that's just not the Maloofian way. Um, but when you drop the baby blue floor on, I think it does something that that reminds you of the history of the building, and it's something that you know again. I was there for the 95-96 playoffs. Uh, I, I was there for plenty of of the early 2000 playoff games and sort of the, I mean, I watched Kevin Martin hit the layup uh, in the, the last playoff series. Um, Lionel Simmons in his last game having a, you know, doing everything that he can to, to like just hold his body together before it completely falls apart. I mean, there's so many memories to this. I think the, uh, the one, there's, again, 50 plus players that are, that are coming. Uh, of course you've got the guys who are already here, the, the pages of Lottes, the Doug and Bobby. Um, but then guys like Ralph Sampson and Spud Webb and Antoine Carr. And, um, you know, it's really, when you look back at the history of a franchise, it's only 31 years. And that seems like, oh, for some people that's so long, but, but really 31 years is really, it's just a blink of an eye in most franchises. And, there's so many, I mean, most of the players that have ever played in this building are still alive. I mean, that's, it sounds kind of strange to say, but I mean, there are a couple that have passed. Uh, but I think the one thing that I want to see is I want to see a Wayman Tisdale jersey on the floor. And as a guy who grew up and saw this team play from the moment they moved to Sacramento in 85 all the way through to right now, that's something I, I want to see his family represented or in some way I want to see him represented because I think he was uh, a, such a, a beacon of brightness in an otherwise horrible like eight-year span of Kings basketball, even you know almost 10-year span of Kings basketball. He, I mean, Mitch Richmond was the great player, but Wayman Tisdale had this infectious smile, this this thing about him that was so incredible. And I hope that he is represented out of everybody that, you know, that played in that building. I, th- I hope that he is represented in some way, some fashion that night. So I, I don't know. That's that's one of my things that I want to see happen. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's weird. I approach this from a different angle. You know, I grew up in Northern California. Uh, I kind of knew of the Kings. And like many people in the nation, um, I was kind of brought into the Kings world when the Maloofs took over the team. And they became this instant national phenomena. And this was back in the day when you got maybe one weekend game and, and your local game. So I got all the Warriors games and some sports center, you know, and the Kings were never on sports center until until the uh, Maloof days. And so what, you know, like I mentioned earlier, what drew me to this story and actually I, I know exactly where I was when my life changed, uh, maybe <laughs> hopefully for the better, um, the you know, I'm, I'm seeing these news reports come in. And, and my job at NBC is to cover the news at that point in time. And some of them are like, the Kings could be moving and blah, blah, blah. And then they started getting real. And and I was actually on a treadmill at a 24-hour fitness uh, doing some exercise. And there was a, a Carmichael Dave tweet. And, and that whole story started to unfold. And then I contacted Dave and and said, you know, hey, this sounds really important to Sacramento um, you know, I, I write for NBC, you know, maybe we could work something out here and lo and behold, like my whole life changed. I, I ended up covering a story 24 seven for four, four or five years. I felt, I don't know, was it four or five? I don't even know. And that, those, those steps through, through, through time for this franchise, were some of the most hectic I have ever seen in anything that I've ever done or covered. And 
there was a point in time in the 30 for 30 that folks didn't really get to see. Um, where <laughs> I've never seen the 30 for 30. You've never seen it. There's a part in time when they start playing uh, Bombs Over Baghdad, uh, the Outcast song, where things I, get really fast. I did advise on that, but I, I have never seen it. The um, <laughs> and, and that's it was like it was kind of like when Seattle got brought into the fray. Um, and you know, at, at this point in time, I've got sources everywhere and I knew about the Seattle report three weeks before it was going to hit. And I knew exactly what Adrian Wojnarowski was going to write. And I, at that point in time was kind of just like kind of in awe that that was actually going to happen. I, I didn't think it was going to happen, but you know, I knew it was coming and, um, you know, I was on the phone with a league source that was impeccable, never got a single thing wrong. And Woj makes the tweet. This was about 12 hours after Dana Falk did her tweet. And I'd been up all night writing, you know, kind of in response to the Dana Falk thing. And when um, Woj did his tweet, I'm actually on the phone while the tweet happens, you know, gathering intel for the other story. And we just, our jaws dropped. It's like, whoa, okay, so this really did happen. Um, and then I, I said to him, I said, so is this true? You know, are the Kings gone? And he said, no, not a chance. This is nowhere near true. And I said, well, I'm about to put my professional reputation on the line here. <laughs> <laughs> are you 100% true or 100% right on this? You know, and I started texting around and I got the answer is that it, it wasn't 100% true or that the Kings, in fact, were favored to keep the team. and But you had this behemoth in Seattle that had many national voices wired to, to their message. And there was a lot of momentum, a lot of financial, big financial interest trying to move the team to Seattle. And all it was going to take was one screw up from Sacramento, one slip. You know, I mean, man, so many things could have happened to knock this thing off of its axis for Sacramento. I mean, oh, I mean, yeah. say, Dead, say Deadspin gets gets more active, you know, before they did. <laughs> yeah, that could have knocked it off. No, I mean, so it's totally many things. True. And what happened was instantaneously, everybody in Sacramento stopped any sort of petty squabbling that they had. And everybody started moving in the same direction. Well, and, and honestly, Aaron, it started the the previous time. It's, I mean, that's you were battle tested. the The city of Sacramento, the fans, uh, you know, the even the media. You were battle tested from the the Anaheim situation, and it was again, it was such a similar situation, same time of the year, where you know, all of a sudden, it's like, uh oh. But oh. I will add this, because they were battle tested, the the flurry of of activity and the flurry of of uh, fight that came out of Sacramento was something like I've never seen. And Seattle didn't know what they had coming. That was the, you know, Seattle had all of the big names on their side. They had the national narrative on their side. They had, you know, all this stuff. You know, we've got the better market. We've got this. We've got the other. And Sacramento's response was just something out of a cannon. Like, oh, yeah, you think you've got this? Well, no, here's what we have. And they just executed a plan in, what, like 60 days that just knocked Seattle out, out of their chair, onto the ground, and they just whooped them. Yeah. Just whooped them. And in the end, <laughs> you have this David and Goliath story that wasn't that close. And the story still continues to this day, which is the most interesting thing. You mentioned books. I think the postscript to it all is way more interesting in ways than the lead up to keeping the team. But it's it's very possible. I, I mean, I, I just know that this this story has it, I mean, it was all consuming. It was all consuming for a long time. Like I, I, I was fresh on the job. I, I mean, we didn't even make it through preseason. And Gavin Malouf came in, and it was 2010. Gavin Malouf came into the media room and was waiting to watch the post-game press conference. Uh, and, and he never did that. And I, 
I mean, like after that, he never did that. And I, I everyone was kind of caught off guard, but that he was there. And uh, I know Blake Ellington, like, hey, let's, he was new doing this too. He's like, let's go, let's go talk to, uh, let's go talk to Gavin. And cause he's here and, you know, started talking about Ga- to Gavin and, and one thing led to another and he, you know, wouldn't like can he basically the arena deal from the past had, had just collapsed the uh the last stages of the convergence plan if people remember the convergence plan it it had died earlier but it officially died like the day before that or or that day and so we had gavin and it was preseason they were playing the lakers and we're like and he wouldn't he wouldn't like say that he would stay in sacramento he was asked multiple times well is this something that you think is going to happen you know what do you think is going to happen from here what what's the next arena plan uh, and then the question was flat, flat out asked you know are you going to start looking for somewhere else to play and it was like well that's one of the options and from that moment on it kicked off a behind the scenes like scramble to watch the here we stay group form and to move forward that was incredible uh, you know, the way that they were able to fill up the building and, and they were fighting against the team, the, the franchise inside the entire time. Um, just like, again, this story is so long and so dragged out. But, you know, Aaron, you, we'll talk about other things because the one thing, the reason why we've spent so much time on this is because Saturday night is such a special night. It's a night that you say goodbye to an old friend but that you walk into a 35-year lease at the new downtown. The Kings can't go anywhere. There, there will not be any more talk <laughs> of relocation for at least 33 years until that last, like, uh-oh, we might need a new arena or we might need to keep upgrading this one or whatever. But there won't – I mean, this is that moment where all of, all of the work of so many people, it, it paid off. The basketball – let's be honest it's not good it's it's not good uh the front office uh we have no idea what's gonna happen uh is demarcus cousins gonna be a sacramento king beyond this summer uh i have no idea will he ever win more than 31 or 32 or 33 games it we have no idea none of that matters on one night one night you celebrate the fact that the sacramento kings are the sacramento kings that you survived probably the most ridiculous five-year stretch that any group has ever had to go through, any fan group has ever had to go through. Uh, Vivek Ranadive has made some mistakes. Uh, the, everyone has made some mistakes. This hasn't been an easy transition. But where everyone has, they, they tried to keep pointing to that downtown arena and saying, look, but we're building something. We're building something. Okay, now it's the time that just say like, look, we built it. We, we're not building something anymore. We built it. And so next season opening up in a new arena is like an absolute incredible thing. It, it's so for the city of Sacramento, it's so off the charts. I mean, if, if you haven't got on board with what's happening downtown, then you haven't gone down there, but saying goodbye to Arco is uh, it's, it's a little bittersweet. It's, Again, it's where I grew up watching games. Uh, it's where, you know, everything happened. Everything happened here. And so it, it, I guess this is a good moment to purge the old and move to the new and to say goodbye to something special. Sorry to step on you there. The um, the one thing that I have um, thought about these two celebrations is this is going to be the good one. There's this celebration, the next celebration. When they open up the the new arena, yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be awesome. I mean, this is just going to be an amazing arena. Um, but the expectations start probably even before they open that thing. And really, the expectations have been on them for a while now. But their decision-making this summer is going to be huge, where the public and everybody that's paying big money for these tickets and these suites and really I think the impatience of the crowd, cause everybody's really tired of this. Uh, the whole, the whole aura around the Kings that's gonna, as you're alluding to end the day after that arena opens, 
once the arena opens, if there's still whatever XYZ storyline going on, Kings fans will turn on them. And it's not just about DeMarcus Cousins. It's not going to be about, you know, the new coach or whatever, whatever happens with that. It's going to be about the entire organization. And can they get on the same page in upper management and start pulling in the same direction? Because that's going to have as much deter- be a, as big of a determinant on what happens going forward as anything else they've got going on. I agree. I agree. And I think you probably have, I mean, any new arena, you're going to have two to three years where people are still going to come out. I mean, it's remarkable. They've sold all the suites. I think they've got 10 year agreements on all the suites. Um, They have also sold out the building for season tickets. That doesn't mean that you can't get in. They're going to hold some single game tickets and then half season tickets. Um, It's something that happened when Arco one was being built. They had, 25,000 signatures, 25,000 people put deposits down for 10,000 seats. And you can't sell out a building because that stops everyone else from being able to get access. And that's the last thing you want to do. You want to, you don't want your fan base to be 17,500. You want your fan base to be 14,500 paying season ticket holders and then 3,000 new people to show up every night because they've got either a package or single games or whatever. So they've done a remarkable job already downtown getting people in the building. And I don't think people are going to give up their seats any time in the first year or two, but you have to start putting a winning product on the floor. And it can't be about saving your draft pick anymore. It can't be about, I mean, you have to, you have to do everything right for at least a short stretch here. And, and if that means you have to be conservative, then you have to be conservative, but you have to be right. And uh, that's that's where I think we'll kind of change this, this, the direction of the, this, this discussion. Um, I don't think, Aaron, I, I'm okay with losing and sitting players. I, I know Gary Gerald's not okay with that. And I know some of the players are not okay with losing and sitting players. Uh, but I'm... I look at a big picture at all times and a, a top 10 pick is such a valuable asset and to lose that asset because you're going to win meaningless games. I, I I'm not really okay with that, but I'm also really not okay with the fans kind of being told that DeMarcus cousins was going to play the remaining, you know, home games, which was like three or four games left. And then you know, of course, Saturday night sold out. Everyone and their dog wants a ticket to go see the final game. And everyone, you know, is is rushing to pay X amount of dollars for this ticket. But then Thursday night, you know, people who couldn't get in Saturday night were like, you know what? I think a lot of people were like, I want to go see it one more time. And I want to see good basketball. And, you know, this might be the last time we ever get to see DeMarcus Cousins in a Kings jersey. It might be the last time we get to see Rajon Rondo in a Kings jersey. And you show up to a game and they are resting again and it's a home game and you're like, wait a sec. I think there was an implied like almost contract between right. <laughs> you know, the team and the fans at that point that they will play. That Even if they play sparingly, even if they play 15 minutes, you're still going to run them out there. So fans that can't get to the final game are going to get to say their farewells and wave goodbye and, and you know have that moment. I think that that is probably going to be, it's going to go down as one of the mistakes. It, it's People are, are not happy about that, and it's going to go down as one of those, I, that doesn't feel good. It's not, even, it's not even just that. It's the fact that it doesn't feel like an NBA game because George didn't get up once. And I'm not the guy pointing that out. <laughs> that's, that's Jerry Zagoda, a longtime writer of, of, for the uh, Wolves. He's like, George didn't even get up. Like... I don't even remember Chad Iskey getting up. I, it's, I, I, but I'm not looking at that end of the floor at, at their bench all the time. But I, I there's get no it. coaching going on. There's, I mean, Willie Cauley Stein's got five fouls really, really early. I mean, it just there's it's such a ugly situation um, from a perspective of the upper management and coach that now you've got this going on. This is the backdrop. What what I'll say is this: as far as is, is talking about losses and tanking and everything, 
I'm actually okay with certain things that have happened the last couple of weeks. This team more or less said, you know, hey, George, we don't smell you later. And they bonded on it and they played together and they took the stink out of the room. And, you know, some of the, the stuff uh, about 10 days ago with Willie Cauley-Stein and Seth Curry force feeding them the ball to show George Carl what a mistake he made all year not playing those guys. To me, if, it might have been the best case scenario that could have happened because you're not getting rid of Carl at that point. And if they continued down that path that they were heading of just complete disgust with him and, and that playing out in, on the court and in the locker room and the post-game interviews and so on and so forth, like that would have just been a mess. You've noticed this team playing noticeably lighter. And in that respect, even winning a couple games, that has sort of saved the end of their season. Now, the damage has been done around the league, keeping Carl. I mean, people around the league are just laughing at the Kings, you know, ridiculously for keeping Carl. It's it's just a known mistake that they will have to deal with in free agency and with other coaches and, you know, the reputation of the franchise for years to come. Um, but they've pulled out of it. And now looking at, you know, NBA Tankathon or Tankathon.com, you know, you're looking at the Kings in the eighth slot. Uh, you got Denver and Milwaukee at nine and ten, and Orlando at eleven. Somebody's got to win a game at some point. I, I don't see the Kings making it to thirty three as much as I would love that. Um, <laughs> the the road to thirty three yeah. is over. <laughs> exactly, that road had a roadblock. Yeah. Um. But, I mean, so if they win another game they're going to be in this big tie with Denver and Milwaukee if those guys lose out. But even as long as they finish in the top 10, their percentage chances of getting bumped out are either 10% or lower. Yeah, you want to be, you at least want to be number nine. I think to be safe, you at least want to be number nine. So that drops you down to like seven or 6%. But that would mean that two teams would have to jump into the top three and, and catapult above everyone else. I mean, as it happened, sure, it's happened. But uh, well, I don't know that that's happened. Two teams from behind, from ten to thirteen. Uh, yeah, dude. I the pick has become this mythical thing, though. It really has. Like, yeah, it, it's a it's important. But I mean, what's the per, what's the percentage chance on a pick being a panning out and then b altering the course of your franchise? Well, yeah, but it's an asset. You have to have assets. You have I mean, to have assets, but the Kings will, I mean, their trajectory changes by degrees, not by, you know, you know, massive leaps and bounds unless they somehow leap into the lottery. But even the percentage chances of that are, are, you know, one out of 20. Yeah. Oh, it's, I don't even know if it's that. I mean, it's, I, I think you would still want though, you would still want the ability to package that with someone else to, to get a better player to, to improve immediately. I think they should lose games at this point. Like, They've kind of covered the base of getting the stink out of the room and and making their their franchise not a smoldering dumpster fire. Yeah, um, that's good enough for me. Like, if if that had continued for the rest of the year, I, I just don't see how you you save it at all. Now they've got a chance. They've got to get a good coach. You know, I'm kind of angling towards um, Messina if they could pull that off. Huh. I think that would be a good one. Um, if they can make the right decisions in free agency and not spend a lot of money, I think they'll be good. Um, but the, uh, the pick to me has taken on this huge life and I don't know that it's as big as everybody's making it out to be. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I get that. I get that. But I mean, not having a draft pick at all in this season would be, would, would hurt. I mean, again, like look at Washington, Washington's had a miserable season and they tried to they tried to everything to bolster their chances to make the Eastern Conference playoffs. I mean, when you go JJ Hickson, you add a Morris twin, and you add Marcus Thornton, that means that you've done everything in your power to try to win. I'm being facetious. Well, them and Jeff Green to the Clippers, you know, the the, the Clips give up a first round pick. Yeah, yeah, it's but, a late first round. Yeah, it's it's that kind of stuff. But the thing is, is anytime you start talking about picks, just go look at the roles, you know, and, <laughs> and see how teams did in the eight to 12 range. And for every Clay Thompson, 
you know, there's a Nick Stauskas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, there's, uh, there are a lot of bad picks in that area. So, all right, Aaron, we, we've dragged this on for a while. Do you have any final thoughts? I'm just really looking forward to sharing, um, stories, uh, running around, you know, stories like running around New York, um, you know, stories like, you know, some of the stuff that, that we were trying to pull off during our investigative reporting. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a fun night. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. I I'm looking forward to like, I, you know what, there are going to be a lot of emotion in the building. Um, I've been in that building when there's a lot of emotion. Uh, the, the Lakers game in 2011, um, I, I was taking it all in. It was, it was really cool to be able to go on the court and film and, and be on the court. And, um, I didn't get emotional though until, uh, Grant Napier came running through the tunnel after he had already done the, the incredible, you know, final sign off with Grant and Jerry, where they both got emotional. He went out on the floor and he waved to fans and he signed autographs and um, he came through the tunnel afterwards and he was jumping up in the air, high-fiving fans coming through the tunnel and he got to the end of the tunnel and me and Devin Blankenship were there from uh, who used to be one of the media directors and he gave us each a big hug and I think both of us got teary-eyed. It was it was like a, an incredible emotional moment where seeing grant who never puts his guard down uh you know really you know lose it uh but to to go from there to where we are today is pretty spectacular and i'm really excited to celebrate that night after uh, you know they're they're gonna throw a little party with all of the employees that's what it sounds like um you know they're really gonna celebrate the building after everyone is gone and uh, i think that's special and and again i'm gonna miss driving out to Natomas and I'm going to CSN. I'm going to negotiate a parking spot into my next deal because I don't want to get stuck looking for parking downtown. But uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be the end of an era, the end of Arco arena as we know it, what will come next for that building, that parking lot. Uh, we don't know. Could be a hospital could be a, an Indian gaming casino. I, I I've heard rumor of. Don't don't quote me on that. Uh, but yeah, lots of possibilities. So that's gonna do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. Special thank you to Gary Gerald for dropping by. Uh, just such a special man. Just so everyone knows, he is he's as equally good off the off the court as he is as a radio guy. So very special thank you to him. Uh, and special thanks to Aaron Bruski for, again, joining me on this journey of a podcast. So for AB, I am James Ham. Thank you for tuning in to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. We'll see you next week. 